Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Today we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of John. Last week we were in John chapter 11. Today we're looking at John chapter 12. Next week it's going to be two chapters if you're following alone, uh, along uh, John 13 and 14. So uh, uh, last week in John chapter 11, we looked at this pinnacle moment in the ministry of Christ, which was the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead after he had been uh, in the grave for four days. Now, there are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, and last week, as I said, was chapter 11, so we are just over halfway through the Gospel of John. Now, logically, you would conclude that we are just over halfway done with the ministry of Christ, but that's not actually how it works. What we find is now we are in the final week of his life. So actually, in the Gospel of John, we have 11 chapters dedicated to the first 33 years of his life, nine chapters dedicated to the final week. So there is this huge emphasis on the final week of Jesus' life, which we are going to begin looking at today. Now, what we uh, find as we enter into John chapter 12 is the word has spread about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And people are coming from everywhere, not just to meet Jesus, but they want to meet the guy who used to be dead. They want to meet Lazarus. And, and, and the Bible says that, that many people are placing their faith in Christ because they had heard about Lazarus and what happened with Lazarus. But what we talked about a little bit last week was this was also kind of the end of the line uh, in terms of the minds of the religious leaders. Uh, we read last week that they recognize now they have a problem on their hands and it's not going away on its own. So they began plotting how they might kill Jesus. And in fact, chapter 12 uh, tells us that so many people are now coming to Christ that the, the re religious leaders gather together and they say, we may not need to just kill Jesus. We probably need to kill Lazarus too. We need to re-kill re Lazarus who was already dead as if Jesus couldn't just raise him back from the dead. But uh, what I want to do is kind of step back for a moment and just look, uh, consider all of the incredible things that Jesus has been doing over the past few years in his ministry because he's been doing all of these miracles, but simultaneously he's been doing something that seems kind of counterproductive. I want to tell you what I mean by that. Uh, we are so blessed in this church uh, just to get to experience a, just a drop of the presence of God in this place as we worship. Uh, there are moments when we worship together where the presence of God is so tangible and the peace of God is so tangible, the love of God is so tangible. And, and the truth is, the presence of God is always with us in the Holy Spirit. But there are just days and there are moments where the best way I know to say it is the presence of God is just thick. It's just tangible. It, it, it's perceivable. And I can remember in the early days of our church when we gathered in the mall, uh, we would go through these seasons where God would just allow us to experience his presence on this deeper level, th this really tangible level. And I, I remember this one Sunday morning, uh, some friends of ours came to the service uh, and, and they stepped or, or they told us afterward, they said the minute that they stepped into the doorway of our space there at the mall, they said that there was a perceivable change in the atmosphere. 
when you stepped in the room, you could feel the tangible presence of God. And do you know how I did not respond? I did not say, don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> in fact, I never closed a service in the mall by saying, have a great week and don't tell anyone about what God is doing in this place. But, but what we find in the scriptures uh, is Jesus is constantly doing this. Uh, actually, you can look at Matthew 8, Matthew 16, Matthew 17, Mark 7, Mark 8, Mark 9, Luke 5, and Luke 8. All of these are examples of Jesus either performing an incredible miracle or, or the, the disciples witness the transfiguration or they say, hey, you're the Messiah. And Jesus responds the same way every time. He says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone about it. And uh, when you are trying to build a ministry, that's not how you do it. You don't say, keep it a secret as long as possible. But after reading John 12, it kind of makes sense now. Because now we recognize that, that he, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and word spreads so quickly about what has just taken that in the next chapter, he's got a week to live. And what we can recognize is the more that his fame grew, the closer he came to the cross. And Jesus recognized that, that the more famous he became among, among the people, the closer he was coming to the cross. So he would do these incredible things, and he would say, stay quiet about it so I can do more. Stay quiet about it so I can do more, because as soon as word got out, he was going to the cross. And even in, in the Gospel of John, on two occasions, Jesus says, hey, my time has not come. The hour has not come. The timing is not right. But, but there is a, a 180 that takes place in John chapter 12 in verse 23 where Jesus recognizes something. And he says, the hour has come. He's been saying all along, the time's not yet. The time's not yet. Stay quiet about it. Stay quiet about it. Until we get to this moment in John chapter 12, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he says, the hour has come. The hour has come. And the time has come, and Jesus is ready to embrace this reality that the time has come for him to, to approach the cross. So he does something that's very purposeful, something very strategic, and it all has to do with the timing of everything that's happening in this moment. Uh, in John chapter 11, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says that the Passover was approaching. And in fact, as we move into John chapter uh, 12, uh, it begins by saying there were six days until the Passover and all anyone is talking about is Lazarus. And why is this significant? Because uh, archaeologists estimate that around that time in Jerusalem, the population was less than 100,000 people and some believe it was around 20,000 people. But the Passover festival was this time when Jewish people from all over the earth would travel to Jerusalem to participate and celebrate in this festival. And there's actually a, a, a Jewish historian, his name is Josephus. And Josephus recorded a census a few years after Christ, and, and he actually recorded how many lambs were sacrificed in a single Passover, and it was nearly 250,000 lambs in a single Passover festival. And what they've done is they've, they've said, okay, if it's one lamb per family, because that's what the Bible commands, 
and you estimate the size of families, then that would suggest that for a Passover in Jerusalem, the population swelled from about 20,000 to 100,000 to over 2 million people. And what Jesus did to get the ball rolling on, on this, these last days of his life is he said, what can I do when these 2 million people are coming to Jerusalem? Oh, I can raise this dead man back from the grave who's been dead for four years, and that will get the ball uh, rolling. And that's exactly what happened, just like it was supposed to. <laughs> Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead at the time of Passover as everyone's coming to Jerusalem, and it's all anyone is talking about. And we actually see this in Scripture in John 12, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And you can imagine this when you've got hundreds of thousands and even millions of people are coming into Jerusalem and thousands of them are flocking towards Jesus and they witness this and they're just saying, the, the whole world is going after this man. So uh, for Jesus... His fame in this moment is, a, is at an all-time high. But what that means is the cross is just a week away. So what Jesus does in this moment, recognizing that his time has come, is he for the first time participates in a very public reception of himself into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphant entry or Palm Sunday. And we might be the only church in America that does this, but we're going to talk about Palm Sunday this morning, even though it's not Palm Sunday today. This is our seventh year as a church, meaning this is the seventh time that I've taught on Palm Sunday. Uh, but, but I've got to tell you, uh, studying this week, my eyes were open so much to, to new things. I, I felt like it was the first time I've ever studied it, and I'm really excited to show you some things that I saw. But let's just read the, the Palm Sunday uh, event here, beginning in verse 12. It says, The next day uh, the great crowd had come for the festival. The, uh, they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, so they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Now keep in mind, this is likely a crowd of thousands, if not tens of thousands, that are crowding the streets and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now what I discovered this week, what really opened my eyes, is that we can actually find the date of Palm Sunday here. And there is incredible significance in the date that Palm Sunday took place. So what I want to do to show you this, just so you can track with me, is we're going to put it up on the screen. Now, it's commonly accepted that Jesus was crucified on Friday, uh, Saturday uh, was the Sabbath, and then on Sunday was the resurrection. Uh, now, the Bible says that on, uh, we believe it was Thursday, the, the day before his crucifixion, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Now, what that tells us, if he celebrated the Passover on Thursday, we know from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus and confirmed in other places, that the Passover took place on the 14th day of the first month, uh, which was, uh, that month is called um, Nisan. 
pronounced just like the car. So Passover took place on Nisan 14. And if we just kind of work our way backwards, Greg, go all the way to the end there for me, what we find is uh, Sunday, so what we call Palm Sunday, took place on Nisan 10. Uh, this would, uh, in our calendars, be between uh, March and April. But Nisan 10. Uh, so uh, this is the first month of their calendar, and the 10th of Nisan was an extremely significant day to the Jewish people. And if we study scripture, what we find is in the Old Testament, there are two references to this day, the 10th of Nisan, and both of them are significant. Now, um, I believe, and I can't prove this to you, you don't have to agree, but I'm going to show you why I believe this. I believe that uh, what is taking place in, in the triumphant entry is directly linked to one of these days in the Old Testament on the 10th of Nisan. And I believe that the Jewish people who lined the, the, the streets also thought the same thing. But I believe they connected it to the wrong day in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at both of those days, and I'm going to show you uh, what I mean, because I believe that they connected Jesus' triumphant entry on the 10th of the month to a moment in the book of Joshua. Now, if we remember the book of Joshua in chapter 4, uh, Joshua has just led the Israelites across the Jordan River into the promised land. Uh, remember, the Jordan River is at flood stage, and the Bible says that it dried up. They crossed on dry ground. They get to the other side, and what did God say? He said, Joshua, I want you to send 12 men back into the, the, the dried up riverbed. Have them grab, grab a stone and set up an altar so you never forget the faithfulness of God in this moment. And we're going to pick up right there in Joshua 4, beginning in verse 18. It says, And the priests came up uh, out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And no sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the water of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage just as before. Verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, this is the 10th of Nisan, it's this, the same day as we're talking about with Palm Sunday. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from Jordan and they camped at Gilgal uh, on the eastern border of Jericho. Now, chapter 5 starts out by saying that the, the neighboring kings heard about Joshua and the Israelites and their hearts melted in fear and they didn't even have the courage to fight against the Israelites. And just a few days later, Joshua uh, gathered his army of Israel uh, and they took Jericho. They marched around seven times and they took uh, Jericho as the first city of the conquest of the promised land and they took the city. Now understand this, the Jewish people know the scriptures and they especially know the first five books of the scriptures, uh, the Bible, the Torah. Uh, and if the date was uh, important enough to, to specify in the scriptures, they memorized it because they knew it was important enough that they needed to know. So there was no question that they knew the 10th day of the first month was the day that Joshua had just come up out of the, the, the water and they were preparing to take the land of Jericho. I also want you to just keep in mind in this moment that Joshua uh, in the Hebrew language is the same, uh, same word for Jesus, is Yeshua. So they probably are thinking that at the same time. So in Joshua, on that 10th day, they have led the army to the doorsteps of Jericho and they are about to take the city. Now, 
I believe when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, they are remembering that moment that Joshua took the city and they are seeing Jesus through that lens of saying, he's entering into Jericho and we're about to take our city back. We're about to cast the Romans out and we are going to take our city back. Now, whether or not this is actually connected to Joshua, we can't know that for certain, but we actually know with reasonable certainty that that's what they were thinking. And that's what they expected of Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem was an overthrow of the Roman government. And I, I want to tell you about that. It, it's really fascinating because what they did in that moment, we read about it, is they take palm branches and they lay them before Jesus and, and they are, they're waving them at Jesus. Now, if we look at the history of, of the palm branch, uh, it, it's actually it's a sign of, of uh, uh, national pride. Uh, but it dates back to the, the Maccabean period, the Maccabean revolt. Now, this took place about 200 years before Jesus. And in this time period, 200 years before Jesus, the Israelites, their nation uh, was suppressed not by the Romans, but by the Seleucid Empire. And what happened was there was this man named uh, uh, Judas Maccabeus. And Judah Ma Judas Maccabeus led a revolt against the Seleucid Empire, and they overthrew the empire, and, and eventually they gained independence. And when Judas, the, the nation, the, the, the hero of the nation, then entered Jerusalem, do you know what they did? They took palm branches and they waved them at Judas Maccabeus because he had led them into national independence. And now what we see is Jesus is entering Jerusalem. They're under the persecution of the Romans and they are waving palm branches because what they believe of this man, you saw it on the screen, is this is the king of Israel. He is the warrior king of Israel who has come to lead us into national independence. Hosanna! Jesus saves. He has come for our nation. But what they missed is Jesus does not come riding uh, in, into the nation on, on a stallion with a suit of armor and a sword. But he comes on the back of a donkey. And in that culture, they, they knew that uh, if a king entered a nation on a stallion, they knew that he was coming to declare war. But a donkey was considered an animal of peace. And if someone entered the nation on a donkey, it, it told you his intentions were peace. Jesus wasn't coming to establish a nation. Jesus was coming to bring peace. And he was actually coming to do it on a spiritual level to bring peace between God and man. But do you know what's fascinating? The Bible says there is a day where Jesus is coming and it's not going to be on the back of a donkey. It's going to be on a stallion. Uh, Revelation 19.11, it says, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And what's he going to do? With justice, he judges and he wages war. This is the Jesus they were expecting in that moment, the one who was going to wage war against the Romans. But that's not the Jesus they got. He came to, to declare his kingdom, a kingdom of love and humility and service and peace between God and man. Now, we're not going to go down that hole today. We'd be there for quite a while. But when they realized that Jesus' kingdom had very different priorities than what they expected, uh, instead of crying Hosanna, they cried crucify. 
This isn't the, the king that we were looking for after all, so let's crucify him. And can I tell you, church, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that is the single greatest declaration you can make in your entire life. But what does not happen is Jesus does not say, I'm so glad you have accepted me. How can I fit into your plans? How can I, do you want me to overthrow the Roman government? What do you want me to do for you? What Jesus says is, you, you accept me and you accept my mission. You accept my call. You accept what I want to do. And if that's a kingdom of humility and service and not a, a kingdom of fame, that's what you're signing up for. You are signing up for whatever Christ calls you to do. And he shows us this kingdom, and, and a few verses later, he shows us one of the ways it looks. Uh, in verse 24, he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also, and my father will honor the one who serves me. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. The Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now we can read this and we can see uh, just the truth of that moment that, that if a, a kernel of wheat doesn't fall to the ground, and if it's not buried under the ground, then it will produce no fruit. There's just logic to that. And we recognize that in the life of Christ. He gave his life. He was buried under the ground. And then he, he rose just like a, a sprout of wheat would to bring life, to produce fruit. But don't miss here that this is not just about Jesus. Jesus says, hey, a, a grain of wheat produces fruit after it has died. And then he says, if you want to serve me, you have to follow me. And what that means, if you want to produce fruit in your life, there has to be a level of death that takes place. Death to self and death to our pride and death to our own motives and saying, I lay it down. I lay it down and I receive whatever it is that you are calling me to do. So if, if we back up for just a moment to those two events that took place on Nisan 10th, if it, if it wasn't Joshua in the battle of Jericho, that Jesus embodied when he entered Jerusalem, what was it? And, and that's going to take us to the person of Moses. Just like it's been happening over and over and over in the Gospel of John, it seems to always take us to this comparison with the person of Moses. And we find this in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, we'll start in verse 2. It says, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. On to verse 6, it says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. The 10th the of Nisan was a day called lamb, uh, lamb Selection Day. It was the day, according to the law of Moses, when the people were to select the lamb which they would sacrifice. <coughs> Now, the, the day that, she, that Jesus chose to, to ride into Jerusalem to be publicly received by the people, he chose to do this on the day that the people were to select their lamb. 
And actually, if you can imagine, uh, if you have 2 million people here, if you have 250,000 lambs around you, people are carrying their lambs with them part of the time, and they're holding on to their lambs, and Jesus enters Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day as if to say, you're choosing the wrong lamb. And if John the Baptist were alive, he would repeat the words of John 1.29 and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Coming into Jerusalem, there is no better words that you could say in that moment of the triumphant entry. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Renee, could you go ahead and come? The people completely missed Jesus' intentions in this moment. Uh, He was not there to lead a nation into rebellion. He was there to be a lamb who was sacrificed for the people. His intentions were peace. And his intentions for you today are to bring peace between you and God. But, But as we receive that peace, we are not inviting him to be a part of our plans. We are accepting an invitation to be a part of his. And that is just what the Jewish people could not understand. How could there be anything more important than the national pride of Israel? And if you're not here to be part of my plans, Jesus, then I'm gonna cry crucify. If you're gonna be a part of my plans, then I'll declare you the king, as long as you're part of my kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 my kingdom is not of this world. And the kingdom that Jesus calls you into every day, every moment of this, uh, of your life, is not of this world. The priorities of his kingdom are not the priorities of the world around us. Can you stand with me, church? I don't know how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. and you need for the first time to receive the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You could be in this place and you might need to be a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that you can be resurrected in Christ. You know your heart. And what I want to challenge you to do as Renee leads is this change. Just take some time to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and to speak to any part of your heart. Father, we, we, uh, we come before you and we say your kingdom and not ours. Your priorities and not ours. And Lord, as a church, we, we make a declaration this morning that if our, if our, our priorities don't align, we don't demand that you make your aligned with ours, but we declare this morning that we surrender ours to you and we step into your plan. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place and we just ask that you speak, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus, I just pray that you uh, go with us as we leave this place.
our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, church, if you have made a decision uh, this morning or the last few weeks that you want to accept Christ for the first time, would you let me know so I can just pray with you? Uh, on top of that, uh, God is really good, but don't tell him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that. Um, actually, I do want to say Easter is four weeks away. Uh, and uh, most of us know someone who will never go to church other than maybe two days a year, and Easter is one of those. So begin planting that seed and saying, hey, come to church with me on Easter. It's going to be a powerful time, uh, and we're going to see some salvations take place that day. Amen? All right. Have a good week, church. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.